very happy to be with you today. I've chosen to speak from um, about 2 Timothy 3. You're welcome to turn there. I'm going to write the title of my sermon on the board as you find the place. I, uh, I'm going to use the title for a kind of a talking point for my uh, introduction here. I'll read, I'll read this passage in just a little bit. Uh, took the title out of two phrases from the text, although the first phrase is not exactly in the King James Version. It is, it is in the NIV. Uh, here in... Uh, 2 Timothy 3, in verses 10 and 14, uh, Paul twice addresses Timothy with the same little Greek monosyllable, sudi, and which means, but as for you. Now, I'm, I'm not a, a Greek. <laughs> I, I don't read Greek. I don't know Greek at all. I, I uh, read what people write about Greek. <laughs> And uh, I, do, I do look up things in word meanings in the Strong's Concordance and Bible Dictionary. Uh, but So I'm just sharing this, what I read someone else to write, that the little phrase where it's, it's translated in verse 10 and uh, 14, 10, 10 uh, verse 10, but, but thou is fully known, verse 14, but continue thou. So I think the NIV uh, does translate one of these places, but as for you. And what it's saying here is, um, like Paul is writing to Timothy about the last days, and it says there's going to be really difficult times in the last days. He says there will be lovers. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, boastful, proud, abusive, dishonest, ungrateful, unholy, without love, for unforgiving, slanderers, lacking affection, brutal, without self-control. Then he says, but as for you, uh, Timothy, uh, you must live a very different life. In fact, he says there, you must live like I do. You must be a man of faith, patience, love, persevering, willing to bear persecutions and sufferings. And then he goes on in verse 13 and 14 to say, that evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, you must continue in what you have learned from me and, and um, the scriptures. And so what uh, the teaching to Timothy and to us is that uh, in these last days, uh, it's going to be difficult times because people are sinful and uh, we as Christian people need to be, live very differently than, than the prevailing culture we live in. So that's where I got the phrase, but as for you, the other phrase I have in my title is man of God, and that's in verse 17 that Paul writes Timothy that the man of God uh, should be, a person should be given to the scriptures to be reproved, rebuked, corrected, and instructed in how to live so that he'll be thoroughly furnished for every good work. 
that the man of God may be perfect and complete, thoroughly furnished to every, for every good work. So that, that phrase, man of God, impressed me too. Uh, he's, I think he's writing to Timothy, calling him a man of God, and I believe that God is speaking to us, wants us to be, be men and women of God that are equipped for the challenges of life and uh, to be able to do every good work in every given situation that we face. So I'm excited that God is doing a work in my life to make me to be a man of God, and I hope you'll be inspired this morning that God wants to, to make you to be a man of God or a woman of God that is equipped to live. Now let's think about Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter, and um, how he was a man of God. We first know about him, him as being a very zealous man, but he was misdirected, his zeal was misdirected, and he was the one who was murderous and threatening toward the Christian people and was out to get them and apprehend them and throw them into prison and have them put to death. He, he watched over the coats of the men that stoned Stephen and approved of Stephen's death, and he wrote that he, call, he called himself the chiefest of sinners, but God um, made him to be a man of God. He wrote this letter, Second Timothy, um, uh, he wrote this letter to Timothy while in prison in Rome. Uh, while he had written First Timothy, he was also in prison, but probably under house arrest where he could have visitors and, and have some comforts and some freedoms, but historians think that likely uh, during this second imprisonment, well, I understand that he had been in prison in Rome and then was released for a while and went on a missionary journey, but now was back in prison in Rome and this time likely in a dungeon. And uh, historians say they, they know of this dungeon that he was likely in probably just had a hole in the ceiling for air and for light. There'd be no release and no escape from this prison. They, historians think he likely was beheaded three miles outside of the city at, at, at the place they did, normally did executions. So maybe in his mind's eye, he, as he was writing, he could almost see the glint of the executioner's sword and uh, he was facing death. And Paul was human. He, it seems like he was lonely. He wrote here in this letter to Timothy that he longs to see him. He, want, he said, um, uh, please come see me. He said many have, he, he lists some people that had, had dis, deserted him. And it seems like he was lonely in prison. Now maybe every now and then you'll meet a Christian who who claims that they're never lonely since companionship with Christ is all sufficient. It doesn't seem like this is what uh, Paul is saying. He was still a human, and it wasn't unspiritual for him to be lonely. God saw him through his loneliness, but he was a human being and needed human companionship. He wrote Timothy, please bring Mark with you. I need him as well. He's helpful to me. Paul might have been cold. Later in the letter, he's, he asked, uh, right at the end of the letter, he asked um, Timothy to bring his cloak when he comes. 
He might have been bored and unoccupied and unfulfilled. He said, please bring my scrolls and my books when you come. So just what I wanted us to feel here is that Paul was a man who felt some needs and, and uh, human needs. He was a human being. He was a man, but he was a man of God. And let's learn from Timothy. Tim, Timothy was also a human. He was a timid person, it seems, because Paul uh, several times wrote to him to be, uh, take courage, uh, be strong. And uh, Timothy was emotional. Paul remembered his tears at their last parting, and he, he encouraged Timothy. And Timothy was the kind of man who, though he had fears and struggles of being afraid, he, he, God gave him the grace to carry out his responsibility. Sometimes as he traveled with Paul, Paul would leave him in a city where there was a fledging church, and he would, he would help that church. Other times, Paul would send him to another city where there was a church that needed some leadership. And somehow, um, though he was timid, <laughs> he was a faithful man of God and carried out the assignments that God gave him. And so I take some courage that here were, here were men, human beings, <laughs> with needs and shortcomings. He was also, Timothy also had stomach troubles where Paul encouraged him to take a little wine for the stomach's sake. And uh, so he had physical ailments too. And I want to encourage us this morning that you can be a woman of God, you can be a man of God, God helping you. Well, let's read this one chapter of this letter, chapter 3. Now this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Notice the, the mention of love or lovers in this chapter. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, which you could say lovers of money, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to, to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. We could paraphrase that to say without love. Truce breakers, false accusers, accusers incontinent, which is lack of self-control. Fierce, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Now, just notice verses 5 to 10, I think, are kind of a section together where it, it describes these people that have a form of godliness, but not, don't really have Holy Spirit power. And it says, finally, they'll, um, they, they're on kind of a downhill course where their true colors will come out. Okay, reading from verse 5. Having a form of godliness but not denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, uh, led many led away with divers lusts, ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janes and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be 
made manifest unto all men as theirs also. But thou hast fully known my doctrine and manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, or here it reads, but, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of them that thou, uh, whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus." All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now first we should answer the question, uh, when are the last days? In verse 1, the last days perilous times will come. I believe the last days are these present days that we live in. Jesus ushered in the last days. The last days are from the time of Jesus' first coming until the time he comes again. Um, and by that definition, we're, we're living in perilous times today. What are the perilous times? Perilous means terrible and, and, or grievous, very difficult I believe these, this scripture is saying that these perilous times are both because of persecution and because of corruption. Verse 12 says that all that live a godly life in Christ Jesus will face persecution. And then it also, in this passage, talks about corruption that is within the church and within religion. Verse 4 mentions that there will be traitors. That sounds like it's something within. Uh, verse 3 mentions deceivers. Or is that verse 13? Deceivers and false teachers. Uh, so some of the difficulty of these, uh, these times are corruption right within the uh, church. Corruption is a dangerous thing. One traitor within a city is more dangerous than the whole enemy on the outside besieging the city. That's kind of the way it is in, in, in the church as well. And then Paul gives a, a very vivid picture of the sinful people in these troubled times. And he lists 19 characteristics, at least 19 here in, in this passage. And the most striking, I think, or uh, the most striking characteristic is misdirected love. And, and it, could, it may be that you could put all the other sinful things under these three. Uh, lovers of themselves, verse 2. Covetous, which would, could, we could call lovers of money. And then in verse 4, 
lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. It seems like to me those are the ones that really stand out here. And maybe the others could be categorized under, under. Another, another one would be de, de, despisers of that which is good, which you, we could say uh, not, not loving what is good. These are characteristics of people in these last days. Is it not true that in, I think we could say in a general way that's what we see in our country and in our world? People are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, not really loving what is good, without love. Uh, what a perilous, difficult time, uh, an age when there's no lo real love. Unfortunately, we still have some people around that love God, most of all, and we have acquaintances that, that really do love too and makes life easier. But we, we do live in difficult times because people love themselves, love money, and love pleasures more than they love God. And this, uh, this misdirected love re results in a, a lack of real love between people, and that makes for havoc in re relationships. And as we look at this list, we can just see it. Uh, people love themselves. They're boasters, they're proud, they're arrogant, they're blasphemers, which this word blasphemer, I think, understand means especially slanderers against, uh, talking against each other. And can you just say, see how those kind of attitudes and sins uh, just ruin relationships? The self-loving person will be disobedient to parents because he will insist on having his own way he will be ungrateful, that's in the list, too, because he's uh, selfish. People that love themselves, loves money, and love pleasures will be slanderers. They'll be traitors to gain advantage. They will break their covenants. They will leave their families. Uh, in their quest for personal happiness, they'll, they will break marriage vows and leave family. And... Um, Uh, make it very difficult for others. And Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul writes Timothy, says, he says, don't be swept away in the prevailing self-centeredness of the culture. Uh, resist these things. But as for you, be a lover of God. And it's interesting in verse 10, it says, uh, as for you, live the life that I'm living. As, and as your teacher and father in the faith. Verse 10, you know my doctrine or my teaching. You know how I live my life. You know my purpose of life and Paul's purpose in life. He describes in chapter 2 that it's to, to, to share the gospel and, uh, with others so people will come into Christ's kingdom. You know my faith, my long-suffering, charity, and patience, and, and Timothy knew Paul's life, how he suffered for the cause of Christ, and he was a man that, uh, that Timothy could follow. A man of God, woman of God, be a lover of God, not a lover of, of 
yourself or pleasures or money or other things, but be a lover of God and learn how to love and care for the people in your life well, too. That's, that's a result of loving God. Now, verse 5 is, describes a person who claims to love God and claims to be in the church, but because of misdirected love, is only an empty shell. These people are trying to to wear a cloak of respectability, but they're giving lip service to Jesus Christ and to the gospel and to being a Christian, but because of their self-centeredness, they're denying the the uh, regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. How can a person experience the power of Jesus Christ and be a lover of himself? How can someone love money most of all and and experience the power of the gospel? How can someone love pleasure more than loving God and experience the power of Jesus in his life? It's it's impossible. These loves must be repented of and these loves must these misdirected loves must be forgiven and cleansed away from our hearts uh, so that we can experience the power of the Holy Spirit. So if, if I, and I, I have these times in my life when I realize I've loved something, someone, uh, more than I've loved God, I need to repent. And I say, Lord, forgive me of my selfishness and uh, forgive me of my self-love or my love for money, my love for pleasure, and cleanse me of these uh, wrong loves, misdirected loves, and fill me with your Holy Spirit and empower me to love you most of all and to love other people around me with your love and to love all things good as well. So my prayer is that God would help us not to to be an empty shell without Holy Spirit power in our lives. And if we've left our first love, as Jesus said in, in his letters in the book of Revelation, that we need to repent and return to loving God most of all. So, to be a man and woman, or a man or woman of God, there's the essential need to be born again, and that is to to experience, uh, to repent, and uh, be seeking forgiveness from God, and have sin cleansed away, and then to experience the the new birth, which is the Holy Spirit coming to live within the heart of the believer, and to give him power. Not an empty shell, but really experiencing the power of God. And that's the beginning. (laughs) That's just the beginning of this life in Christ. After we're born born again, we must find out what God's will is for us. And this, this part of the letter shows us some of finding God's will. And for Timothy, verse 10, it was knowing Paul. You know, you've known my, I read the verse, you've known my teaching, you've known my purpose in life, my life, a manner of living, 
faith and charity and so on. So Timothy was very fortunate to have Paul as kind of like a spiritual father for him, and he learned the will of God from Paul. These evil people are, are all these things, proud, boasters, slanderers, ungrateful, all those things. But as for you, Timothy, you know my teaching, you know how I live, you know my purposes, purpose of life, and you, you follow in that way. So the Apostle Paul's life and example were a great part of Timothy's understanding of, of how he should live with Christ. Also, his mother and his grandmother are a great influence on him. In uh, and, and chapter 1, uh, Paul mentions that in the letter, that his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice uh, both taught him, brought him to faith in Christ. And so he had their influence in his life to, to know the will of God. And then later in this, le- le- uh, this chapter 3, Paul talks about the word of God and how, and really what, what Paul had taught, what his mother and grandmother had taught, it was all from the scriptures. Uh, that's, uh, they were teaching Timothy the scriptures. Uh, his mother and grandmother very young, and then Paul later in life. That's, so all, all, all of it went back to the scriptures. Verse 14, but as for you, Timothy, continue in the things you have learned, uh, remembering who taught you, um, it, they taught you from the scriptures. The scriptures made you wise into salvation. Then Paul wrote that all scripture is God-breathed, meaning that God inspired the men to write the scriptures. And um, these scriptures are useful to teach you, to, to rebuke you, cor- to correct you, and to train you in how to live right so that you'll be a man of God that is thoroughly equipped for every good work. So do we see how important uh, the scriptures are for us in in knowing the will of God and be able to 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 live, live for God? Now some practical lessons. Uh... I believe we could ask ourselves a very personal question is, where is our love directed? Uh, I looked up the Greek words for lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasures. They're all just a little variation of the word phileo, which means friendship, love. And so we could ask uh, uh, ask ourselves the question, what are we fond of? Are we really fond of ourselves? (laughs) and of money, or of pleasures, or do we love God most of all? Is God still our first love? Um, Let's think about self-love. Self-love is old as Adam and Eve. I suppose it's old as Satan when he he fell. But self-love is very natural. It's very human. Self-love or selfishness is the essence of sin. Um, that's who we are without Christ. That we're, we're selfish and self-centered, just who we are in our fallen, fallen 
nature, with the sin nature present. Now there is a, a self-respect. Uh, see, I don't know how to what term to use. Self-worth, self-respect, self-esteem. We hear all those terms. I'm not sure uh, how you know different people de define them different ways. But there is a there is a the healthy self-respect that's necessary, and I believe that comes by. Uh, on the one hand, of knowing our, our sinfulness and uh, that leading us to just a deep humility, knowing that we're sinful and need to be forgiven and need God in our lives. Another part of a healthy self-respect is uh, um, becoming aware of how much God loves us, that um, he created us and he values us, and he planned for us before our birth. All, I mean, God knew us and planned for us, loves us. Jesus died for us, and when we, we're accepted by, uh, when we're forgiven by Christ and, and born again, we're accepted into God's family. So that gives us a deep, deep sense of significance. So you, if we can somehow, God helping us, hold this humility in our hearts and hold, hold this uh, love of God, love, feeling love of God in our hearts. I believe that gives us a healthy self-respect. And it helps a lot, too, if there are people around us that love us a lot. It really does. So I expect that we're all growing in this uh, having a healthy, healthy, self-respect. But the self-love is something different that Paul is, uh, Paul is writing about. The self-love is selfishness. And so if we, if we routine, routinely put our wishes and our goals and our plans and our desires ahead of God's and ahead of people, then that must mean we're lovers of ourselves more than lovers of God. Lovers of money is is another, another description. If we put earnings or business or spending money on ourselves or acquiring things or hoarding things, collecting things ahead of God and ahead of God's purposes and we're neglecting the people in our lives as we pursue things or earnings, then that must mean we're lovers of money more than lovers of God. I can remember a time, and maybe I'm still learning this one too, but I can, I can remember a time in my life where in my job I would, would routinely work the extra hour or whatever it took to get the project done and then rush home and knowing that I'd let the family down at some at different times. So to love God more than be a lover of money or things or business. Lovers of pleasure, if we, if we indulge in sinful things, cert certainly we must be a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God. There are also many legitimate pleasures that God has, has uh, given us in this world, but even they, every, every, we need to be honest about our pleasures and uh, things we enjoy and make sure they come under <clears throat> uh, 
that we love God most of all. Let's see, I thought of an example from the book Huck Finn. Uh, I think it was Ms. Watson. You remember her? She was, uh, I think she was quite a legalistic lady, but she was getting on Huck Finn about smoking, and he, um, he, he couldn't figure that one out because he said he didn't think uh, smoking was any harm to anybody. Of course, he had that wrong, but that's the way he felt. And he said, now, now snuff, that was okay because Miss Watson did it herself. And uh, it's easy for us to, to look at our own lives and the things we enjoy and feel like it's okay. And they may be, but we need to be willing to examine, examine the things we enjoy in the light of what God says and in light of how it affects the people around us and if we're neglecting them. So I find in my life that some of the things I've enjoyed that I've, because of my family, because of oh, a host of things, a sermon that needs to be prepared, a neighbor that needs to be visited, and all those things that, <clears throat> that some of the things I enjoy, I really have to limit limit to be able to love God and love others best of all. When we love God the most, other, th other things come into their proper priority. If we realize we have love self and money and pleasures too much, then it's, we must repent and be cleansed. Another practical lesson I thought about in this letter, and there, see there's a need for repentance and cleansing so the Holy Spirit can take over and so we, we have power to live so that we're not an empty shell without, with the form of godliness and not without power. Another practical lesson I thought of here was about how Timothy learned about God and about the scriptures, his mother, grandmother, and, and, and Paul, <coughs> Paul taught him. And I especially thought about children, what an opportunity we have uh, as, as parents, grandparents, uh, uncles, whoever we are, to love our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephew, nephews, our church children, boys and club uh, boys and girls club youngsters to what an opportunity to befriend them and to teach them and to lead them by example of what it means to be a man of God or a woman of God and what it means to be unselfish and uh, what it means to be a lover of God and uh, because I think that that like this unholy list that we have in this chapter is, is a result of, of children growing up with that sinful nature, self-centered nature, which is natural to them. And if, if, if children grow up with that unchecked or unaltered, even having their ego stroke, stroked where it grows, that uh, we end up with a, a many people that are very self-centered. And it makes it makes for a for a perilous and difficult world.
And let's not forget, I think, one of the main thrusts of this, this scripture passage is that, that the Holy Scriptures are God-breathed. Uh, they'll make us wise unto salvation, and they also will teach us, uh, uh, re re reprove us, and correct us, and teach us how to live right so that we could be men and women of God who are, are, are come to maturity and completeness and are thoroughly equipped to do God's, God's work. May God bless us and make us to be men and women of God. Let's have a song and then I'll, I'll ask Leon to close. <laughs>